Welcome to This Professional Life, a podcast by Convos Media about trending topics related to all things in the professional services world, from lawyers to accountants and other business-to-business service providers. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris, and on today's podcast episode, I chat with Crystal Kelly, a friend and a financial planner at Evergreen Wealth Advisory. Um, But I think I just developed, they could be seen as unhealthy coping mechanisms at the time, but... I don't really see them as unhealthy because they help me survive. Yeah, I moved out when I was 16. I finally was like, hey, I've had enough. I'm out of here. And so I graduated high school at the same time working full time to support myself and and kind of started down that path of, okay, what kind of life do I want to create? And it wasn't that simple. It was certainly messy. But Yeah. yeah, I just kind of always had it in my mind that there was a better way to live and that I wanted to live a better life. I wanted to interview her for this podcast because I observed how hard she worked and how successful she was when we both worked in the private capital markets. And I wanted to chat with her to find out more about her journey as a professional in the financial industry. But also, what mindset factors does she focus on that have supported through her success so far? Now, what I didn't realize and wasn't prepared for was Crystal sharing her childhood story with me, which is what has ultimately guided the way she thinks and approaches life. So I grew up in a small fishing town in, it's called Campbell River, on the northern end of Vancouver Island. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful spot, you know, ocean, mountains, absolutely breathtaking. I probably didn't appreciate it as much as I should have growing up, but uh, my mom still lives there and I go to visit and I absolutely love it. So um, from that sense, you know, it was it was great. But to be fully transparent, my childhood was actually and, and my upbringing was actually pretty traumatic. Okay. Yep. So, um, you know, I uh, if you think about a lot of the different sort of heartbreaking traumas and abuse that a child can endure, I experienced probably most of them. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of not what people expect to hear from me, yep. but. You know, as I've gotten older, I've realized that there's some power in that too. And, you know, I, um, you know, want to be able to speak my truth too. So, yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing called the ACE quiz, but it's called, it stands for the Adverse Childhood Experience Quiz. Okay. And so it's a list of 10 questions. They're very specific about different traumas and abuse that you can experience. And so for each question that you answer yes, that adds a point to your score. And my score is 10 out of 10. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so we moved around a lot. Um, I actually went to 10 schools altogether. (laughs) Yeah, between elementary school and junior high and high school, I went to 10 schools, moved a lot. Um, I was actually in and out of foster homes my whole childhood. But in that area though yep in in Campbell River yep I was born there and lived there till I was 20 so all throughout that time so you know it sounds really sad and you know it is but it also has kind of been my superpower in life as well so you know through that there's a few skills I guess that I developed that you know I really like about myself and one of them is independence so I became very independent at a very young age um, and so you know not having a lot of support I became very independent which is some you know a good life skill you know and adaptability as well I sort of have this confidence that 
No matter what happens or changes in life, I have the ability to adapt and still continue to develop and grow as a person, which is which is amazing. So, and work ethic. I mean, you know, I had to work really hard to earn every step throughout my life. And so, you know, it, it is a heartbreaking story in some sense, but at the same time, um, like I said, it developed some skills and some grit in me that I love about myself. And, you know, there's something I'm really proud of too, which in my mind is my legacy, which is I broke the cycle. Right. I broke the cycle and so I've managed to, you know, end all of that trauma and abuse. And, you know, I haven't been a perfect parent, but I've certainly been able to raise my kids in the way that, you know, I wish I was raised and give them a good head start in life. And so, yeah, that's my legacy and I'm very proud of that. So when you speak of the trauma and I mean, clearly you've developed this mindset to push through it, you know, perseverance, resilience. Did you force yourself to get through that or was there, or did you find someone or a group that helped you at that point? Or was it just kind of like you just decided yourself, I got to get through this? Yeah, I mean, there certainly were people along the way that, you know, expressed a certain level of belief in me that helped. Um, but I think I just developed, they could be seen as unhealthy coping mechanisms at the time, but I don't really see them as unhealthy because they helped me survive, Gotcha. you know? Um, and so, you know, along the way, certainly there were people, uh, whether it was a teacher or, you know, I had friends too, who I'd go to their house and their family life looked very, very different. Um, environment was what I would consider healthy you know they had support from their parents and siblings and that sort of thing and so I definitely saw examples of it and I just kind of always knew that it was kind of like I was itching to break free from it so I could live the life that I wanted and I think I felt that all through childhood and so yeah I moved out when I was 16 I finally was like, hey, I've had enough. I'm out of here. And so I graduated high school at the same time working full time to support myself and and kind of started down that path of, okay, what kind of life do I want to create? And it wasn't that simple. It was certainly messy. But Yeah. yeah, I just kind of always had it in my mind that there was a better way to live and that I wanted to live a better life. Right. And going through all that, like, and I guess this is a bit of a transition into our topic of of your career, but at the same time, at what point were you able to then step back and think about, well, what do I want to do? Uh, Not really, to be honest. So um, as far as what I'm doing now, I would say I kind of stumbled upon it by accident. You know, I kind of did my young adulthood backwards. (laughs) So moved out young, started working full time to support myself. I was 19. And I was like, okay, you know, I should probably do something with my life. Um, And so I went to the North Island College and looked at the course selection. It was I mean, this is 1999. (laughs) It was pretty slim pickings and plus the North Island College was in the same building that I graduated high school in. Oh. And so who wants to go back to high school at 19? You want to change. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And so I ended up actually moving to Prince George, BC, because um, I had extended family there. And so I went to the College of New Caledonia there, 
worked a couple part-time jobs and took a year of business. So I earned a business administrative uh, administration certificate. I would say at that point, I still didn't have this clear vision of where I was going to end up. It was just, and it always has been in my life, just take the next step. And as long as you're taking action to develop and grow and do something, things always happen. And that's kind of how I went through my whole young adulthood and, you know, eventually ended up here. It was never like a clear path and I knew step one, two, three to get there. It was kind of like, okay, try this. And it always led to something else. And so, like I said, I kind of did things backwards. So I did that year, I moved to Vancouver, started working um, full time there. And then I got pregnant with my first daughter. And so I was 20. And so I had my daughter when I was 21. I had my son when I was 24. I got married at 23, bought our first home at 24. Um, And I was home with the kids, but I mean, it's just ingrained to me to always work. So, you know, when their dad came home from work, I would go clean houses. Um, I also started a daycare. So during the day I was watching kids in the evening, I was cleaning houses and I was there with my kids for a few years uh, full time. So kind of did that for a while. And then I ended up working in health and safety. So mainly forestry and logging in BC. Um, And I did that for about four, four and a half years. And then we moved to Edmonton from Prince George in 2007. And, you know, I saw that as an opportunity to do something different. Mm -hmm. I mean, health and safety was a great experience, but it wasn't going to be my long-term career. That's for sure. I mean, I was young. A lot of these operations, mainly forestry and and logging, were, you know, people operating the same piece of machinery for 20 years, and who am I to come in and try and tell them how to do it, right? So it wasn't something I was super passionate about and was going to do long term. And so when we moved to Edmonton in 2007, you know, moving to a new province, it was like, hey, find a doctor, uh, find the kids a school, uh, you know, get Alberta healthcare, just kind of figure out life, how to get around the city. And so I wasn't in a rush and I was collecting EI and just started applying for jobs and you know, thought I'm not going to actually take anything until it's something that I feel excited about. Went to a bunch of interviews, wasn't the right fit. And then I stumbled upon the financial industry. Uh, I went to an interview with a large land banking firm. um, So a private capital offering. And I left that interview thinking this is super interesting to me. Mm. This is something totally different from anything I've done. It's very interesting to me. This is an area that I want to explore and I felt excited and the people, you know, just the whole package. I was like, hey, I'm going to take this job. And so I stumbled upon it by accident. Well, and you and I met in the, you know, private capital world and that's how how we got to know each other. Um, So when you stumbled upon this (laughs) job, uh, did anything cross your mind like, oh, I've never been in the financial industry before like what were there any concerns or were you like nope this felt good I'm just gonna go for it no concerns and I think that goes back to my whole life being adapting to new things you know yeah there's a little bit of the fear of of the unknown but but not really I thought this is an opportunity for me to learn something new to develop my skills and I started in a sales support role So I started out in a role where there wasn't a ton of pressure or anything like that. 
Um, I wasn't working directly with investors yet. And so I learned the business through that support role. And it was interesting, like within six months of being in that role, I was essentially selling the products. Right. Yeah. So I was going to my team's investor events and watching their presentations. I was talking about it to people that I met and that I knew and was having them invest. I just wasn't getting paid for it because <laughs> I would have to refer them to the account managers. Right. And so quickly realized, okay, this is something that I actually want to challenge myself with. And so I moved into an account manager role within six months of being there. And gosh, that was a huge learning curve and skill development phase for me. And so, you know, learning to do public speaking and presentations in front of large groups of investors. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember at one point, you know, management from this company came and to our Edmonton office and set up a bunch of cameras kind of like this. And there was three (laughs) or four of, you know, executives in the room and you had to stand up there and do a full presentation on one of the company's investment offerings and then be critiqued. Which they knew inside out, right? Inside out. They built it. (laughs) And so no pressure. (laughs) Um, But man, did that ever work well as far as developing that skill. And I learned sales processes and of course learned a lot about investments and different structures for investments. And, you know, just a lot about business development and that whole side of the business. Of course, private capital market is a very niche part of the financial industry, but that's where I kind of developed all of my foundational skills you know, to be able to do what I do now, for sure. Right. So for for those who are watching who don't quite know what private capital, kind of what that role is, maybe describe a little bit about your job at that time. Sure. So basically, um, and it's changed a lot over the years uh, with, you know, some regulatory requirements that were implement, implemented in 2009. But, you know, basically... Um, It's private companies that are raising capital from everyday investors to fund a project or an acquisition of some type of asset. And then, you know, increase the, in this case, it was buying land and rezoning, repurposing the land, getting approvals in place, and then selling it at a higher price. Right. And so, you know, it's a way for private companies to be able to accomplish those uh, projects and for everyday investors to participate in the growth and the opportunity of that by investing. Right. And yeah, and those were, I guess that was it 2000. Yeah. Between 2007 and called 2012, I know there was a significant growth in that private capital exempt world um, that brought on some unique investments into the, you know, to give investors opportunities to invest in things that normally they wouldn't be able to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, prior to that, you know, you basically had to be, you know, um, accredited investor only very high net worth, you know, basically a millionaire to be able to invest in Mm -hmm. those things. This was a way for 
it to be accessible to kind of the average person still with some thresholds in place but yeah give you access to some pretty unique opportunities that you wouldn't find in the public space for sure an exempt market just means exempt from prospectus so in the public market you know you have to provide a prospectus to investors so exempt market just means exempt from prospectus but you know really it's private capital market is a better term i would say right yeah now Walk me through kind of the, your journey through kind of the private capital market and, you know, what were some of the big things you've, you took away from it or things you learned about it? Yep. Yeah. So like I said, started in 2007, from 2007 to 2009, built kind of all those foundational skills, learned a lot about real estate specifically, but, um, you know, business development, different types of asset classes, what the public market was, what the private market was, all of that. Um, And then in 2009, the Canadian Securities Commission, um, thankfully, you know, decided to implement new regulatory requirements. And so I went from being, uh, you know, we all kind of went from being account managers or referral partners to now having to be registered dealing representatives, registered with the Securities Commission and having to demonstrate a certain level of proficiency. And so at that time I took in 2009, I took the Canadian Securities course, and that was the first certificate I earned in the financial space in 2009. And so, you know, that covers a wide array of different um you know, topics in the financial space. And so from there, um, over the next 13 years, um, well, I guess 11 years plus the two, 13 total, I worked for uh, a handful of these other private companies that were raising capital for various things. So multiple different asset classes, lots of real estate, but mortgage-backed securities, um, financing for the film industry, uh, financing recurring monthly revenue contracts and those types of businesses. I mean, a bunch of different asset classes, Mm -hmm. but my role in that uh, was to help those small private companies build out the distribution channels to be able to raise that capital from investors. And I would then, you know, do those presentations to large groups of investors, work with the different dealerships that were offering our products, build out that distribution, and really just become the product expert for that particular company. And, you know, over that span of time, for sure helped raise over a hundred million, probably more um, dollars from investors through through that role. So, you know, I was registered as a dealing rep as well. And so I, you know, built a small little client base and yeah. So, and part of your role too, was to network with a lot of financial planners. Yes. And other financial, you know, designated financial professionals yes. as well. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that. Like, was there a certain skill set that, you know, when you re- reflect on that now, um, did you build a certain skill set having to be in, in that industry? And I'm leading you down a path on okay. a question here, but I'm going to start with that first. Like, what, what are some of the key learnings in dealing with other financial professionals uh, in your role? Yeah, so my role for the bulk of that time was, just like you said, uh, working with financial planners, advisors, other financial professionals who were, you know, this was one opportunity they had to offer their, their clients, right? You know, I found pretty quickly that that was something I was good at. And so, 
you know, we would look at the production of a certain group of financial professionals that were offering the product. I would come in and work with them and, you know, double, triple their production. Right. And so, you know, it sounds so simplistic, but one of the key things was just providing the support. Being the product expert, being able to um, answer questions that investors had, talk about, you know, not just the upside, but also the downside and what the risks they were taking were. Um, And really, at the end of the day, building relationships, right? Right. It really always comes down to building the relationship and the trust and, you know, being um, available to answer questions and being, you know, I guess more than that. So I would work with an advisor, let's say, and really help them build a business development plan for their business, I think was the most effective strategy. So we would sit down together, talk about goals over the next year in their business. And then I would, you know, obviously strategically find a way to fit into that and help them build that out. So I really became a partner to them in a lot of ways and help them achieve their goals. And when you position yourself like that with someone, you know, like I said, it kind of becomes a partnership. And then, so I think that's why I was successful at that. Well, yeah, and as a financial planner too, you're inundated with tons, tons of investment products, right? Mm-hmm. You're being bombarded all the time. So I, it definitely could be overwhelming. So when you position yourself as that support role, yeah, like I can see why they would be like, okay, I'm going to talk to, you know, give Crystal more time to chat because yeah. she's helping me yeah. build all this out. Yeah. And a lot of time it's just coming with good ideas, right? Yeah. And so, you know, putting together different kinds of events and yeah. um, the one of the funnest ones I can think of was in the film industry. And so we uh, we put together an event at the theater. Oh, nice. And we did a presentation in the theater and we made little, you know, Oscar statues <laughs> and a red carpet. And, yeah. you know, I know it sounds gimmicky, but it's 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 effective, right? It's people want to participate in things like that. It was a fun event. It was exciting. They got to learn more about the film industry and how it works from a financial perspective and how you could get involved investing in that space. And, um, you know, so a lot of it was helping these financial professionals um, get creative in their business and find ways to um, you know to to drive that business and and better support their clients and provide them unique opportunities and yeah yeah um when you and i were in the private capital markets uh and i'm sure statistics will back this up it's a heavily male-dominated industry oh yes how did you find working in the industry was there any things you had to deal with oh for sure yeah that's a good question um yeah and i would say it even still kind of is it's not nearly as male dominated as it was you know 13 15 years ago i guess but it still is and so still dealing with some of the some of the same things you know for me personally I just feel like I've always sort of approached things a little bit differently Uh, more relationship based Um, the communication is very different Um, and so but I think that's also been kind of my advantage as well is being able to 
relate to people and communicate on that level. Um, you know, there's there was a lot of not so good situations that I've been in mm-hmm. because of it as well. Um, you know, just I mean, I'm sure you can imagine and guess some of the things, but <laughs> you know, men, I guess, old school mentality um, could be you know sort of inappropriate. It's always kind of like in your you're sitting in at the boardroom table with a bunch of men and it's the comment is never about your expertise your experience it's like oh you're the good looking one or you know you go to a meeting with uh, a male uh, colleague or whatever and it's like oh he's the brains but you're the good looking one you're the one that people want to deal with because you're you know that I mean that's just so common um so it's just like little things like that and you know there definitely was other situations that I would say were a little more serious but yeah it's it's been interesting i think it's getting better right so that was kind of my next question is you know because you are still and you're and we'll talk about you know you getting certified and you know taking on more of that financial planning role now but are you seeing kind of the shift in the industry and in the profession Uh, are you seeing more females join uh, like women join the industry yeah absolutely there are a lot more women and in fact there's a lot of um you know i would say really um significant leadership by women in the industry which is which is amazing you mm-hmm. know it helps give the rest of us confidence and <laughs> you know um and i also think there is a shift in general from and maybe it's not a shift, but just an addition to, you know, yes, the technical side is important. Yes, um, you know, the numbers matter, all of that. But it's really about relationships and being able to ask good questions and listen. And listening is a skill natural, I think, to to most women. And I think that's becoming more and more important. So, you know, I, I think about clients I work with just really simplifying it. You know, there seems to be a hesitation from people to work with a financial planner a lot of the times. Mm. And I think the hesitation comes from a lack of understanding of what financial planners do and feeling uh, like that post I I made. It's sort of like hiring a house cleaner and then cleaning the house before they come. A lot of people think that, you know, I sort of need to have my stuff in order before I gauge a financial planner. and the shift is, you know, sort of busting those myths and breaking down those barriers to say, no, I'm here to help you and simplifying it. So financial planning really is a two-step process. Um, and, you know, I think it historically could be communicated in a much more complicated way right. than it needed to be. More technical, more numbers, and almost seem like more complex than it needs to be. It's really a a two-step process. It's identifying areas that you are at risk and finding ways to mitigate and sometimes even eliminate that risk entirely. And then step two is identifying areas that you have an opportunity to optimize your financial situation and then utilizing and taking advantage of those opportunities. And it doesn't matter how simple or complex your particular situation is, it always comes back to those two things. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, historically it could have been very overcomplicated. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I feel like people are 
realizing that it needs to be simple, it needs to be accessible, it needs to be understandable by the average person. Yeah, I can uh, I can tell by how you explain that. Yeah, um, because I've known you, you know, since uh, the private capital market side, and I can see a difference already in okay. how, how you're talking about it. Yeah, and I so I want to go down that path. Is at what point? I guess what year or what what made you decide to kind of shift from that account manager the you know representing the issuer yep. to now representing clients and helping clients directly when it comes to financial planning. So at what point did you decide to make that shift? It's recent, 2020. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Um you know, I have a lot of positive things to say about my experience um in the private capital markets and my role within that. But, you know, when I take a step back and really, from a personal standpoint, look at, you know, where that's going to take me, it was a roller coaster. You know, there were a lot of ups and downs. I had no real control over the outcome of anything. Um, And it was a bit of a roller coaster. And I was struggling to figure out how I was going to make, you know, my next 20, 25 years successful and meaningful in that space and on that roller coaster. And so, yeah, 2020 is um, the the year that I was like, okay, I, honestly, I've pretty much transformed everything in my life since 2020. Right. You know, everything from selling my house to, you know, buying a new house, moving to a different area of the city, to um, changing my career, to starting therapy and healing from a lot of things that mm. I had gone through. Uh, my daughter moved out, so I was a half a empty nester. Um, and so that's when I was like, okay, you know, the private capital space, which I still love and still um, think is a great thing to explore, is really sort of the last thing that people should be considering when you're talking about financial planning. Mm-hmm. And the base of it, the foundation, is the risk management side. And so when I was looking at the whole space, I knew I wanted to stay in the financial industry, but where in that space do I want to be? I thought I want to be at the foundation and managing risk first, as opposed to, you know, um, focusing at the last part. I wanted to start at the beginning. And so I took my insurance, took the LQP, got my insurance license for life insurance and accident and sickness insurance. And so I was still working full time at that time but i knew that i was going to be making this change so i just started so Mm -hmm. took the course took the four exams did that in 2020 um and then 2021 started actively working in the insurance side and then once i started doing insurance i was like you know i think what i would be really good at is actual full financial planning Mm. it's less not that insurance is product driven, but it really is just like one piece. What I like about financial planning from a personal perspective is that you are establishing a relationship with somebody and you're looking at their full picture. So you're not trying to just sell them a product. You're looking at their full picture and really helping them with their financial well-being. And, you know, you're building a plan together based on their goals, their dreams, their personality, their fears, all of those things. And then you're spending the next however many years executing on that plan, right? which is not 
product sales. Mm. It's you've already, the selling is building the relationship and the trust with the person and building a plan that they can be excited about and confident in. And then you're just executing on the plan that you've already agreed upon. Mm -hmm. And I like that because I like that long-term relationship. And, you know, it's fun when you can each year sit down and go, okay, let's review your goals and see what we've accomplished. And that's super rewarding to me. So where are you at now? What what company are you with and kind of what are the plans for 20, well, 2023? Wow. <laughs> um, so I'm with Evergreen Wealth Advisory. I decided to join that group because, well, first of all, I wanted to be part of a team. Okay. You know, being, you know, independent was important to me, but so I could sort of do the things that I wanted to do the way that I wanted to do them. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to be a part of a team Um, and not be on my own little island. You know, I think there is a ton that I wanted to learn still and still do. And so the team that I work with has already demonstrated great success and has a tremendous amount of experience. And so I wanted to be a part of that and just absorb as much as I can. And so I work with a fantastic team there with a really diverse set of skills and experience and background and um, sort of focus for their business. So yeah, it's, it's really good that way. I, um, I, I guess February got my QAFP certification. So that stands for qualified associate financial planner through FP Canada. And, you know, that gave me the knowledge and skill set to do financial management, um, investment planning, retirement planning, um, estate planning, tax planning, and of course, insurance and risk management as well. Mm-hmm. And so with the QAFP, uh, that gives me the ability to do, you know, sort of everyday basic financial planning. Right. And I've been really enjoying that. It's very rewarding. Um, and I've had some clients come to me that I would say have more complex situations they own multiple businesses, they have estates that they want to pass down to, you know, their kids and grandkids. They have different partnerships in different businesses. They have a lot going on. And so that's why I decided to continue and take my CFP, which is Certified Financial Planner. And so I am currently um, studying for the exam and I take that in June. And through FP Canada, I took the Um, It's called the Advanced Certificate of 3H of Financial Planning, which stands for Human Behavior, Holistic and Honest, which is one of the best courses I've ever taken. (laughs) It's it's phenomenal. So it's not enough to say to a client, you know, here's what I recommend. Mm -hmm. You know, this is kind of what's always worked. I know it's the best thing for you. This is what I recommend. What this course taught me to do was, okay, so there's multiple strategies and solutions we could explore. I go through the analysis and explore each of the strategies that they're eligible for, go through the pros and cons. I test against my own biases and heuristics that I use to make decisions. And I challenge those and then out comes, you know, the results of that, which is okay. This strategy is good for, you know, whatever reasons, pros and cons of each. 
And then the final recommendation has gone through so much of that, that you are confident and the client is confident that it's the right recommendation for them. And being able to demonstrate that these are the strategies that were considered, mm-hmm. here's are the pros of the, and the cons of each, and this is why I'm recommending this. Right. Not just because I know it's the best thing for you or it's always worked, mm-hmm. but here's exactly why. So my clients know exactly why they're doing everything that they right. do. Right. Yeah. Do you ever, you know, I mean, you've added a whole new dimension to your knowledge in the financial industry. Do you ever take that and kind of look back to when we were in the private capital market going, uh, okay. Like, do you ever look back at situations of, you know, investors, you know, going into those and knowing what you know now, you know, does that explain a lot of maybe things that investors, like some of the questions they had asked you back then? And, you know, does that kind of, did you ever look back and, and say, oh, I understand it a lot more now with this new perspective. Oh, for sure. dimension to it. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if I can think of a specific scenario, but I feel like that happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's constantly happening. I mean, I'm looking at it from a completely different lens now. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I know when I was sending you questions, I had sent you something about AI. And you're like, don't ask me about AI. I don't think I'm <laughs> uh, But I'm going to ask you not about, you know, AI technology and the financial specifically, uh, but more so, do you see technology advancing to help the financial profession or are there things currently that you're experiencing that you think there's going to be technology in the future or affects the landscape of the financial uh, planning profession is there anything currently that you think uh, would be improved by technology or changed tons yeah The AI conversation is super interesting to me. I've spent hours watching um, ever since chat GPT came out. Um, I've spent a ton of time just asking it lots of things. Um, I've spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos, um, you know, different ideas and strategies people have for how it will impact their profession. But also how to basically make money from it Mm -hmm. so one youtube video i watched which i thought was pretty cool was uh this guy explained how you can use chat gpt to write code to create google extensions chrome extensions sorry and so he was like you can literally just type in you know write me a code for a google extension that whatever and so he used the example that will basically any recipe website menu anything that you look at online will automatically convert it to vegan and so you can ask chat gpt to write that code for you you can then go create your own chrome extension and then start selling it and if you think about somebody who's vegan, I would pay for that extension. That's pretty handy. Yeah. And so that just blows my mind that, yeah, that um, that's where we're going. I think it's really exciting. There's a scary side too. And yeah, there's this concern that, you know, will this replace me or my profession? Um, You know, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But I'm just super interested in figuring out how do I use it to help my clients and give my clients a better experience 
And I hope the industry itself finds a way to use it to create more efficiency because the lack of efficiency just blows my mind, right. to be honest. And so, yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. If you have any ideas, I'm willing <laughs> to do it. Well, I've seen, so similar, right? I've, I've been, and I have also been playing around with ChatGPT just to yeah. push its parameters a bit. Yeah. Um, and I've uh, got a couple of videos coming out too that I'm going to be talking about how people shouldn't be afraid of ChatGPT. Yeah. And I think it goes back to kind of the theme of this whole conversation you and I have had is about the human component mm -hmm. and aspect, the relationship, yeah. you know, with your clients. Mm -hmm. AI is a computer. Yes. You're not going to replace the human aspect of relationship building. Yeah. Are there probably chatbots that are going to be programmed to mimic human i mean chat that's what chat gpt is right. mimicking human response yeah but i think at the end of the day it's not going to replace that human touch yes when it comes to client relationships and understanding where their situation's at and then providing a solution i i just don't think we're going to get there now somebody out there is going to say yeah nope there's quantum it's computing it's yeah. going to do it You're gonna be, yeah we're still humans it's yeah. still a human to human conversation it is I, so i i, I think going back to everything you've talked about on this podcast yeah it's that relationship building that is key it is having that yeah. human element to everything you do yeah I, I often say my role is financial planning but my goal is peace of mind yeah. so my whole entire job is to give people confidence that they're doing the right things and on the right path yeah. and give them peace of mind knowing that their financial well-being is being cared for by a professional yeah. and so how does how does a bot give you that confidence and peace of mind i think it's great for information yeah uh, but you know they don't offer it doesn't offer you peace of mind and confidence yeah and to your point about the efficiency right so if you can get back to your clients a lot quicker because yeah. the information can be downloaded a lot faster yeah and right? i mean writing financial plans is <laughs> <laughs> a huge task yeah um and i enjoy doing it but yeah i f i feel like there's going to be ways that i'm going to be able to create efficiency within my own business which yeah. will in turn benefit my clients for yeah. sure yeah crystal thank you so much for joining this has thank been great thank you for having me we will need to continue the conversation as you continue on your journey as a financial planner yeah Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me on this episode of This Professional Life. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you are listening to so that you can get notified whenever we release a new episode. Also, if you're a professional looking for help to grow your practice, don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to have a chat with you about how digital content can amplify your business development efforts. Take care. I'll catch you on the next episode.